Happy trails. Happy trails. Happy trails to you. Until we meet again. Happy trails to you. Keep smiling until then. Who cares about the clouds when we're together? Just sing a song and bring the sunny weather. Happy trails to you. And that's Roy Rogers sharing with you happy trails. And, of course, uh, that was written by Dale Evans. Dale Evans was Roy Rogers' wife. And together they had a wonderful career uh, in television, movies, and rodeos. <laughs> I remember it all. <laughs> Well, hello and welcome to the Chambers Street Theater, and I'm Ruth Chambers. Big surprise, and here we are on KDRT Low Power, High Impact, 95.7 FM, an independent media outlet for alternative voices. KDRT, where the grassroots grow, in Davis, California. Well, we're going to start a new reading today. And it's going to be The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. And that's, of course, written by Mark Twain. And we're going to start right at the beginning of the book and get to know some of the people. I need to let you know what a roundabout is because it could be almost anything, but it's a boy's jacket. So when we get to a place where they're talking about put your roundabout on or what, he was wearing a roundabout. Well, that's a jacket. And, of course, it's a roundabout his body, <laughs> just like a jacket would be. Well, here we are with the adventures of Tom Sawyer, Chapter 1, and we'll just get started. Tom? No answer. Tom? No answer. You? What's gone with that boy? I wonder. You? Tom? No answer. The old lady pulled her spectacles down and looked over them about the room. Then she put them up and looked out under them. She seldom or never looked through them for so small a thing as a boy. <laughs> they were her state pair, the pride of her heart, and were built for style, not service. <laughs> well... She could have seen through a pair of stove lids just as well. Uh, let's see. She looked perplexed for a moment and then said, not fiercely, but still loud enough for the furniture to hear, Well, I lay if I get hold of you. Ah! And she did not finish, for by this time she was bending down and punching under the bed with the broom, and so she needed breath to punctuate the punches with. She resurrected nothing but the cat. I never did see the beat of that boy. She went to the open door and stood in it and looked out among the tomato vines and jimson weeds that constituted the garden. 
no Tom. So she lifted up her voice at an angle calculated for distance and shouted, You, Tom! There was a slight noise behind her, and she turned just in time to seize a small boy by the slack of his roundabout and arrest his flight. There, I might have thought of that closet. What you been doing in there? Nothing. Nothing. Look at your hands and look at your mouth. What is that truck? I, I don't know, Ann. Well, I know. It's jam. That's what it is. Forty times I've said, if you didn't let that jam alone, I'd skin you. Hand me that switch. The switch hovered in the air. The peril was desperate. My, look behind you, Aunt. The old lady whirled around and snatched her skirts out of danger. The lad fled on the instant, scrambled up the high board fence and disappeared over it. His Aunt Polly stood surprised a moment and then broke into a gentle laugh. Hang the boy! Can't I never learn anything? Ain't he played me tricks enough like that for me to be looking out for him by this time? But old fools is the biggest fools there is. Can't learn an old dog new tricks, as the saying is. But my goodness, he never plays them alike two days, and how is a body to know what's coming? He appears to know just how long he can torment me before I get my dander up, and he knows if he can make out to put me off for a minute or make me laugh. It's all down again, and I can't hit him a lick. I ain't doing my duty by that boy, and that's the Lord's truth, goodness knows. Spare the rod and spoil the child, as the good book says. I'm a-laying up sin and suffering for us both, I know. He's full of the old scratch, but laws of me, he's my own dead sister's boy, poor thing. And I ain't got the heart to lash him somehow. Every time I let him off, my conscience does hurt me so. And every time I hit him, my old heart most breaks. Well, well. Man that is born a woman is a few days and full of trouble, as the scripture says, and I reckon it's so. He'll play hooky this evening, and I'll just be obliged to make him work tomorrow to punish him. <laughs> it's mighty hard to make him work Saturdays when all the boys is having holiday, but he hates work more than he hates anything else, and I've got to do some of my duty by him or I'll be the ruination of that child. Tom did play hooky, and he had a very good time. He got home barely in season to help Jim, the small colored boy, saw next day's wood and split the kindlings, before supper at least. He was there in time to tell his adventures to Jim, while Jim did three-fourths of the work. Tom's younger brother, or rather half-brother Sid, was already through with his part of the work picking up chips, for he was a quiet boy and had no adventurous, troublesome ways. While Tom was eating his supper and stealing sugar as opportunity offered, Aunt Polly 
asked him questions uh, that were full of guile and very deep, for she wanted to trap him into damaging revelations. Like many other simple-hearted souls, it was her pet vanity to believe she was endowed with a talent for dark and mysterious diplomacy, well, diplomacy, and she loved to contemplate her most transparent devices as marvels of low cunning. Said she, Tom, it was middling warm in school, weren't it? Yes, am Powerful warm, weren't it? Uh, yes'm. Didn't you want to go in a-swimming, Tom? A bit of a scare shot through Tom, a touch of uncomfortable suspicion. He searched Aunt Polly's face, but it told him nothing. So he said, No, well, not very much. The old lady reached out her hand and felt Tom's shirt and said, But you ain't too warm now, though and it flattered her to reflect that she had discovered that the shirt was dry without anybody knowing that that was what she had in her mind. But in spite of her, Tom knew where the wind lay now, so he forestalls what might be the next move. Well, some of us pumped water out on our heads. Uh, mine's damp yet, see? Aunt Polly was vexed to think she had overlooked that bit of circumstantial evidence and missed a trick. Then she had a new inspiration. Tom, you didn't have to undo your shirt collar where I sewed it to pump on your head, did you? Unbutton your jacket. The trouble vanished out of Tom's face. He opened his jacket. His shirt collar was securely sewed. Bother. Well, go along with you. Uh, I'll make sure you played hooky and, and been a-swimming, but I forgive you, Tom. I reckon you're a kind of a singed cat, as the saying is. Better than you look this time. She was half, half sorry, anyway. Her sagacity had miscarried, and half glad that Tom had stumbled into obedient conduct for once. <laughs> but Sidney said... Well, now, if I didn't think you sewed his collar with white thread, but it's black. Why, I did sew it with white, Tom. But Tom did not wait for the rest. As he went out at the door, he said, City, I'll lick you for that. In a safe place, Tom examined two large needles which were thrust into the lapels of his jacket and had thread bound about them. One needle carried white thread, and the other black, and he said, She'd have never noticed if it hadn't been for Sid. Consound it. Sometimes she sews it with white, and sometimes she sews it with black. I, I wish to Jiminy she'd stick to one or t'other. I can't keep the run of them. But I bet you I'll lame Sid for that. I'll earn him. He was not the model boy of the village. Uh, he knew the model boy very well, though, and loathed him. <laughs> Within two minutes, or even less, he had forgotten all his troubles. 
not because his troubles were one whit less heavy and bitter to him than a man's are to a man, but because a new and powerful interest bore them down and drove them out of his mind for the time, just as men's misfortunes are forgotten in the excitement of new enterprises. This new interest was a valued novelty in whistling, which he had just acquired from a Negro, and he was suffering to practice it undisturbed. It consisted in a particular bird-like turn, a sort of liquid warble produced by touching the tongue to the roof of the mouth at short intervals in the midst of the music. The, the reader probably remembers how to do it, if he ever had been a boy. Diligence and attention soon gave him the knack of it, and he strode down the street with his mouth full of harmony and his soul full of gratitude. He felt much as an astronomer feels who has discovered a new planet, no doubt as far as strong, deep, unalloyed pleasure is concerned. The advantage was with the boy, not the astronomer. <laughs> The summer evenings were long. It was not dark yet. Presently, Tom checked his whistle. A stranger was before him, a boy a shade larger than himself, a newcomer of any age or either sex was an imperative curiosity in the poor little shabby village of St. Petersburg. This boy was well-dressed, too, well-dressed on a weekday. This was simply astounding. His cap was a dainty thing. His close-buttoned blue cloth roundabout was new and natty, and so were his pantaloons. He had shoes on, and yet it was only Friday. He even wore a necktie, a bright bit of ribbon. He had a citified air about him that ate into Tom's vitals. The more Tom stared at the splendid marvel, the higher he turned up his nose at his finery, and the shabbier and shabbier his own outfit seemed to him to grow. Neither boy spoke. If one moved, the other moved, but only sidewise in a circle. They kept face to face and eye to eye all the time, and finally Tom said, I could lick you. I'd like to see you try it. Well, I can do it. No, you can't either. Yes, I can. No, you can't. I can. You can't. Can. Can't. An uncomfortable pause, and then Tom said, What's your name? Tisn't any of your business, maybe. Well, I allow I'll make it my business. Well, why don't you? If you say much, I will. Much, much, much. There now. Oh, you think you're mighty smart, don't you? I could lick you with one hand tied behind me if I wanted to. Well, why don't you do it? You say you can do it. Well, I will, if you fool with me. Oh, yes, I've seen whole families in the same fix. Smarty, you think you're some now, don't you? Oh, what a hat. You can lump that hat if you don't like it. I dare you to knock it off. And anybody that'll take a dare will suck eggs. You're a liar. You're another. You're a fighting liar. 
and dasn't take it up. Ah, take a walk. Say, if you give me much more of your sass, I'll take and bounce a rock off of your head. Oh, well, of course you will. Well, I will. Well, why don't you do it then? Why do you keep saying you will? Uh, why don't you do it? It's because you're afraid. I ain't afraid. You are. I ain't. You are. Another pause and more eyeing and sidling around each other. Presently, they were shoulder to shoulder, and Tom said, Get away from here. Get away yourself. I won't. Oh, I won't either. So they stood, each with a foot placed at an angle as a brace, and both shoving with might and main and glowering at each other with hate. <laughs> but neither could get an advantage. After struggling till both were hot and flushed, each relaxed his strain with watchful caution. And Tom said, You're a coward and a pup. I'll tell my big brother on you, and he can thrash you with his little finger, and I'll make him do it, too. What do I care for your big brother? I got a brother that's bigger than he, and what's more, he can throw him over that fence, too. Both brothers were imaginary. That's a lie. You're saying it don't make it so. Tom drew a line in the dust with his big toe and said, I dare you to step over that, and I'll lick to you so you can't stand up. Anybody that'd take a dare will steal a sheep. The new boy stepped over promptly and said, Now, you said you'd do it. Now let's see you do it. Don't you crowd me now. You better look out. Well, you said you'd do it. Why don't you do it? By jingle for two cents, I will do it. And the new boy took two broad coppers out of his pocket and then held them out with derision. Tom struck them to the ground. In an instant, both boys were rolling and tumbling in the dirt, gripped together like cats. And for the space of a minute, they tugged and tore at each other's hair and clothes, punched and scratched each other's noses, and covered themselves with dust and glory. Presently, the confusion took form, and through the fog of battle, Tom appeared, seated astride the new boy, and pounding him with his fists. "'Holler enough!' said he. The boy only struggled to free himself. He was crying, mainly from rage. "'Holler enough!' and the pounding went on. At last, the stranger got out a smothered, "'Nuff!' and Tom let him up and said, "'Now that'll learn you!' Better look out who you're fooling with next time. The new boy went off brushing the dust from his clothes, sobbing, sniffling, and occasionally looking back and shaking his head and threatening what he would do to Tom the next time he caught him out. To which Tom responded with jeers and started off in high feather as soon as his back was turned, the new boy snatched up a stone, threw it, and hit him between the shoulders, and then turned tail and ran like an antelope. Tom chased the trader home and thus found out where he lived. He then held a position at the gate for some time, daring the enemy to come outside. But the enemy only made faces at him through the window and declined. 
At last, the enemy's mother appeared and called Tom a bad, vicious, vulgar child and ordered him away. So he went away, but he said, "'Allowed to lay for that boy!' He got home pretty late that night, and when he climbed cautiously in at the window, he uncovered an ambuscade in the person of his aunt. And when she saw the state his clothes were in, in her resolution to turn his Sunday ho Saturday holiday into captivity at hard labor, became adamantine in its firmness. <laughs> and we're going to stop there. Uh, I like the way uh, Mark Twain always throws in a, a nice uh, ringer word like ambuscade or adamantine. <laughs> you have to get out your dictionary for those. <laughs> well, we're going to stop there for today, and next week we'll take up again and find out what's happened to Tom Sawyer in Chapter 2, because that was Chapter 1. Now, I wanted to share with you, because it's the beginning of the year, a little blessing, and this is from the Apache Indians. May the sun bring you new energy by day. May the moon softly restore you by night. May the rain wash away your worries, and may the breeze blow new strength into your being. May you walk gently through the world, and know its beauty and all the days of your life. And that's an Apache blessing. And I think that's a pretty nice way to start the new year, and that's what we've got. And the year is 2020, and I think that's kind of humorous. <laughs> well, let's see. Uh, let's see. The Chambers Street Theater can be heard live on Thursday, 11 a.m. and repeats Friday, 3.30 p.m. in the afternoon, and Saturday, 11.30 p.m., moving into the night. And you can go to kdrt.org to hear past Chamber Street Theater shows. You go to the menu, and you'll see programs, and there I am, and you can listen anytime. You've been listening to the Chambers Street Theater with Ruth Chambers, and that's me, on KDRT 95.7 FM, low power, high impact. And of course, mine isn't the only wonderful show. <laughs> that's sort of a joke. <clears throat> I do the best I can, but I know it's not perfect. But I'll tell you a show that is pretty close to perfect, and it's called Sounds So Sweet. And it takes a lively look at jug band music. And Wayne Hagen is the host, and he's a very special person. He is wonderful. He must have the biggest record collection in the world. <laughs> and he's no less than the founding member of the California Jug Band Association. So you know he knows his stuff. Join Wayne for Sound So Sweet Live on Tuesdays, 9 to 10 p.m. right here on KDRT. And for replay times, visit kdrt.org and click the schedule tab. Now, Wayne is such a, well, such a wonderful person. He even has a second show called Out of Style. 
Join our jug band player, Wayne Hagen, who steps away from jug band music for a bit of mayhem on Out of Style, live Tuesday afternoons, uh, 4 to 5 p.m. on KDRT. And for replay times, visit kdrt.org and click the schedule tab. And, of course, we've got many wonderful shows here on uh, KDRT. We're your Davis radio station. We were the only one, and most of us are Davisites, and we're all volunteers with our shows. And it's just a pleasure to be here and be able to share our interests. Mine are mostly uh, books that uh, may or may not be read, what with all the movies and the videos and everything that's going on. So I thought I'd start reading some of these books that uh, maybe aren't getting read enough. And, of course, Mark Twain is very special. He uh, lived in the 1800s, died about uh, 1907, and had a very rich and full life and uh, wrote a lot of books. And in time, I'll get them all read for you. Well, let's see. What else have we got going here? I guess it's about time to play a little more Roy, Roy Rogers and hear the, the rest of our uh, CD here. And here we go. Come on. Turn on, you little devil. Come on, what's all oh, there we go. Keep smiling until then. Who cares about the clouds when we're together? Just sing a song and bring the sunny weather. Happy trails to you till we Happy trails to you. I thank you for listening. Uh, I hope you're enjoying Tom Sawyer. I think it's a funny family. We've got Tom and his brother Sid, and we've got Aunt Polly. And she's, of course, stuck with these two little orphans, one of which is Tom Sawyer, who's a bit of an adventurous child. (laughs) And next week we'll hear some more about what Tom Sawyer is up to. And... uh, I kind of like this first book that um, uh, Twain wrote about these boys because um, it's based on some of the boys that he knew as a child, and that's kind of fun. Uh, he, he admits that a lot of these are true stories, <laughs> and of course uh, some of the stories were about his activities as well, and it's all, well... Great stories about young boys, and and there's some girls in there, too. And, uh, everybody's having a, a good time in a small town and eating apples and sharing apple cores. <laughs> That's kind of how they did their courting in those days. One of the things that um, uh, Tom Sawyer did was eat his apple, but he gave it the core of the apple to to his little lady friend, and you'll be meeting her soon. Well, thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next week. All the best to you. 
Take care. This is Ruth Chambers with the Chambers Street Theater. And thank you for listening. Bye-bye now. And here we go. Where is that? There it is.